views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to Lime Talk Radio with Dr. Pat Basili. Epic healing for an epic life. This inspiring show highlights leading edge solutions, groundbreaking research, headline topics, and tools for holistic healing and wellness. This hit show is dedicated to raising awareness, promoting advocacy and prevention, and supporting initiatives for optimal health. Dr. Pat is passionate and focused on life-saving results reaching far beyond Lyme disease, providing a forum for powerful stories, heart-opening experiences, and hope-activated solutions. Dr. Pat will shine a light on the many shades of Lyme disease fueled by a body-mind-spirit remedy. Now here's your host, Dr. Pat. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome. I want to thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. Shout out to WBLQ uh, for picking this show up. Uh, Lime Talk Radio uh, is a show that I'm passionate about. I'm Dr. Pat. I'm your host. I'm also the host of the Dr. Pat Show for many of you that listen to that. Uh, And a number of years ago, we created Transformation Talk Radio and getting ready to launch 10 channels, transformationradio.fm, with your help and our crowdfunding effort. You know, another crowdfunding effort you're going to hear a lot about is going to be a crowdfunding effort we're putting together that's going to raise funds for shows like this, specifically for Lyme disease awareness. And so we are thrilled to be putting that together. And as part of that crowdfunding effort, we've got something very, very cool, never been done before to educate the general public on who the heroes are and who the villains are uh, when it comes to the conversation of Lyme disease. And no, I'm not talking about the CDC. I'm talking actually about Lyme, the co-infections, and how can we treat it? But today, Stephen Buhner is joining me here today. He's the author of Healing Lyme Disease Co-Infections. And boy, it's, uh, you know, you got to say that slowly. It's Healing Lyme Disease Co-Infections. Now, what is the difference? What is it that we absolutely cannot even wrap our minds around when it comes to Lyme disease? You know, what is it about Lyme disease that Stephen also wrote in his book, Healing Lyme, Natural Healing and Prevention of, of, of Lyme Borreliosis and Co-Infections. But why are we talking about this? You know, what is the, co- the conversation about this? You know, uh, when, um, it's really interesting. When, when I think Stephen wrote this first book, there was a conversation in the book at the time where the Centers for Disease Control estimated 20,000 new Lyme disease infections every year, you know? Okay, fast forward to where we are today. We've learned a lot, and we're going to cover that in a conversation today as well. But one of the things that we have learned is that many, many, many people, many professionals, many individuals do not really know the full effect of what Lyme disease and the co-infections are all about. Uh, it used to be we could have a conversation about this and we say Lyme disease and it got everybody's attention. But I want to really thank people like Stephen and the many, many others out there that have shined a very bright light right now, including some of the celebrities that have come to the forefront. And I'm going to tell you for a celebrity to come to the forefront and openly say, I am battling Lyme disease 
it is a courageous act because here's what we know about it. It kills, it can put people in excruciating pain, and, and that doesn't even cover emotionally what's happening. But I want to tell you, there is some great news. There's some great news to share today. And that great news comes from people like Stephen who have said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am a senior researcher. I know what we can talk about that is going on here. I know that there are secret teachings of plants. I know that there are many, many, many things that not only can we learn, but we can remember about some of these remedies. Some of them are so ancient in their nature and at the same time being used at places across the globe. So today, what are co-infections in Lyme disease? How is that different from Lyme disease itself? Stephen, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me on. Okay, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a busy few years, and I think I did uh, six really technical books over the last um, four years, and it was quite a bit of work, and three of those were on Lyme and the co-infections, so two books on co-infections and then another book on, basically it was the revision of the original Healing Lyme book. It's about four times as long and deals with a couple of the co-infections that most people haven't worked with before. So, yeah, it was a lot of work, and but it's good to have it all out. Well, I mean, you have a philosophy. Uh, and, you know, it, it, let's talk about it for a minute for those folks um, that are familiar with your work and, and what you've been able to bring to the forefront. You know, you have um, what I read is a Lyme philosophy. And, you know, many people would say, wow, what does that mean? What is a Lyme philosophy? Uh, let's talk about this. Some people would say that's a philosophy, that's an approach, but it's a way of thinking about Lyme, which may and may not be uh, based on what the conventional dialogue is about right now. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the, uh, the, the, the structure, the infrastructure of your thinking about Lyme. Well, most of us have been really raised to view bacteria and bacterial diseases um, with a kind of a picture that arose in the early to mid-20th century. And it turns out it's not very accurate. It works pretty well for simple bacteria, let's say, like um, staph or sep, in the sense that many researchers call those first-generation pathogens. Mm-hmm. And you can get a good broad-spectrum antibiotic, which will quite often work with those kind of bacteria. But when you get into the Lyme world, Mm -hmm. what you start dealing with is something that researchers refer to as second-generation pathogens or stealth pathogens. And they're very, very different in the way that they can be treated. They're extremely good at hiding in the body. They're extremely good at... um, subverting our immune system and avoiding antibiotics. And they're a lot more sophisticated in what they do. They're sort of parasitic organisms which subvert the entire functioning of our bodies for their own purposes. And so when we begin to approach those kind of bacteria, we really have to work much differently. Um, For instance, 
maybe only about 60% of the people who use conventional antibiotics are going to respond to them if they've got a Lyme infection or one of the co-infections going on. And so that leaves a huge pool of people that for whom pharmaceuticals aren't going to work, and it needs a much different kind of approach. And the very first thing for me all along when I began studying this was to have tremendous respect for the bacteria. I mean, they've been around for much longer than human beings have been. They've been around 100, 200, 300 million years in these particular forms. They're very good at what they do, and so we have to approach them by finding out what they want, what they're doing in the body, and then begin to put limits on their behavior because it's actually very difficult to use antibiotics to simply kill them off. For some people, that does work, but for many people... It doesn't. And the other thing that's really important to remember and to understand is that these are ecological diseases primarily. They're emerging in such numbers into the human population because we've disturbed their habitat. And we have to look at the human body as a particular ecosystem when they get into it. And also, just the way that they emerge, it's driven by ecological disruption more than anything else. So it's It's a real different approach than the conventional um, thing, go to the hospital, take some antibiotics to deal with it. It just doesn't work very well. Well, and, you know, let's talk a a little bit, if we could, for people about what is a co-infection. You know, I think that if we don't start to break this down, Stephen, if we don't really start to break this down in a way that people are going to be able to understand, it is a really hard hard conceptually to talk to them about. So let me give you an example, and we can talk about it when we come back from break. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who, um, and by the way, I live in the state of Washington right now. I grew up on the East Coast, but I live in the state of Washington. And I talk about this every show, every show I mention this. In the state of Washington, if you go to the Health and Human Services website, you will see that there are zero occurrences of Lyme disease in the state of Washington because the tick actually doesn't live here. And anybody that actually has contracted Lyme has come from the East Coast. Now, that is an official uh, ruling and position on the state of Washington's uh, health page. Now, having said that, that's not even a conversation about co-infections. So when we come back from break, I would love for you to take us on a journey of what the current state is of wisdom regarding what actually is Lyme and what actually are these co-infections. And for most of you, I want to just let you know uh, that Stephen has got a gazillion amazing articles, books, information out there. Today we're talking about healing Lyme disease co-infections, complementary and holistic treatments. And we're going to talk about what is Bardinella? What is that? And why should each of us know the questions to ask? We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. We 
the Women of Wisdom Fall Harvest Festival is coming up right around the corner on October 24th from 10.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. with free admission located at the North Seattle Community College in the Conference Center. Festivities include a silent auction, healers, educational booths, delicious food, and a variety of vendors. You won't want to miss this fun-filled event. For more information, visit womenofwisdom.org, and we'll see you there. Transformation Talk Radio is dedicated to the education and awareness of Lyme disease. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Lyme Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Pat, joined here by Dr. Nusheen Darvish. Dr. Pat Basili and Dr. Nusheen Darvish will be bringing the most innovative, groundbreaking information, research, treatment innovations, and stories from those it affects every day. I'm so excited to be talking about this. We have so much to share. Dr. Darvish and I are planning to do is connect the dots. People suffering with all sorts of chronic diseases, it's time. It is time for them to transform. Tune into Lyme Talk Radio and help keep our mission strong. For the loyal listeners out there that have been listening to this incredible show on Lyme disease, we are not going to let you down. We're going to come through stronger and enrich the platform for Lyme disease awareness through Lyme Talk Radio. The message will continue. The conversations will become stronger and the healing epic. Enlightening, humorous, and compassionate. Listen live to The Kelly Ballard Show, insight and inspiration from the great beyond. Kelly is a fourth-generation medium and intuitive who covers topics ranging from grief, spirit guides, and listening to your intuition. Kelly can help you get answers and guidance from the other side with a little bit of humor and a lot of healing. Tune in to The Kelly Ballard Show, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hi, I'm Tim Darter. And I'm Steve Kramer. Join us on Spirit Fire Radio. Discover how to add the mechanics of meditation to your day. And watch yourself connect in a whole new way. Find the amazing moments in life's routines that often pass us by. Add to your awareness with Spirit Fire Radio. Tune in each Wednesday at 9 a.m. for your weekly guide to practical mindfulness. And to learn more, visit www.spiritfireradio.com. 1230 WP. Welcome back. It's so great to have Stephen Buhner joining us here today. The book that we're talking about today is Healing Lyme Disease Co-Infections, uh, Complementary Holistic Treatments. And, you know, uh, Stephen, most of this, and you and I were chit-chatting before, you know, during the break, um, we were talking about herbs. We were talking about what do people actually know. But before we get into that conversation, um, would you clara- clarify for people the difference between Lyme disease and Lyme disease co-infections for our audience. And then I am so excited to hear about what some of the complementary and holistic treatments are that you've discovered. Lyme disease was really the first of this group of infections to be identified back in the 70s. And It was named after Lyme, Connecticut, because there was this outbreak of juvenile arthritis there, and they finally figured out it was being caused by this bacteria, um, the Lyme bacteria, spirochete. 
And so they began to treat that, and then they began to notice a lot of the people with Lyme also had other infections. So they began to call those co-infections. And what's really true is that there's this group of arthropod-transmitted infections, basically any kind of a biting insect, um, like a tick or like fleas, for instance, or mites, that can transmit these diseases. And there's probably nine or ten co-infections that are occurring now, and but there's many more. Um, and the average tick can carry about 230 different microorganisms that can infect human beings. So this pool is just going to be bigger and bigger. But Lyme is the most famous member of the group, but there's all of these others that are very common. Some people, when they get bit by a tick, they'll get mycoplasma or Bartonella or Babesia, and they won't get Lyme. So that's sort of a really quick and dirty look at what these things are. But basically, these are emerging more and more into the human population all of the time because of population expansion. And the doctors and the hospitals, the CDC, none of them actually really know that much about them. You know, one of the things I like to say is, all of the accurate information about these organisms is concealed in peer-reviewed journal articles where the CDC and doctors can't seem to find them. Mm. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting that we have really raised the, 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 the level of, of, of vocal uh, outreach we have on Lyme disease, and yet it's still extremely difficult to get people's attention. And so... What what I love about what you're doing is that you're coming to the forefront and you're saying to folks, wait a minute, you know, I, I, I'm looking at this. I have found things to heal Lyme and, you know, let's talk about what they are. Let's talk about how people are getting well. And that's what you're talking about here. Well, you're that, talking and about, that let's talk about getting well. Basically, the beginning place was simply to, you know, I reviewed 10,000 peer-reviewed journal articles for the three books that are now out on Lyme disease and their co-infections. And what I did was I basically analyzed all of those and then created a coherent picture of the whole group of infections. And once you know what they do in the body, it becomes much easier to treat. Like you mentioned earlier that, you know, the website in Washington says there's no Lyme infections in Washington yeah. State. Well, that's completely untrue. The peer-reviewed journal articles are completely clear about it. There is no state in the United States and basically no place on Earth that's exempt from Lyme. Lyme exists at both the Arctic and the, and the Antarctic. It's mm -hmm. an extremely widespread organism. It's, there is no place you can go to not get infected. So what's really true is that the numbers of infections are very high compared to what the CDC says. Even in 2005, when I first wrote about this, I was saying that the minimum number of infections per year was 200,000, and the CDC was still saying it was only 20,000. Well, now they're saying it's probably 300,000 a year, but the actual figures are probably somewhere between 500,000 and a million. And all of this stuff just comes from peer-reviewed journal articles, open source on the Internet, but very few researchers or physicians have the time to look through 10,000 journal articles and create a gestalt or a synopsis of what's going on. And that's where I started because, you know, the information on what they are and what they do really needs to be out there so people 
can understand what's happening and they won't be so afraid. And as well, so their physicians can have an idea of an actual treatment regimen that can work for them. You know, I was really struck. I, I mean, I was really struck by a, a number of different things you've written in the book and how beautifully you describe what many, many people are talking about. Let me give you a specific example, because I think this will set the stage. You know, we're now looking at uh, breaking down Lyme into different categories. One of the things I was really struck by is when you talked about Lyme arthritis or neurological Lyme. And, you know, I was reading this through and and I I couldn't help think about, you know, uh, my very dear friend's dad who lived smack in the middle of the country in New Jersey, diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. They could never get it under control. And ultimately, it took the best of him. And I, and I, I start to look at these descriptions of Lyme, Lyme arthritis, Lyme bacteria. At the same level, Stephen, we have the rise in a new and wide range of conventional diagnosis for autoimmune disease. How are we missing the connection here? You know, that's that's a really incredible question. I mean, one of the things that occurred to me as I'm doing all this research is, you know, it started to occur to me that physicians just aren't aren't the sharpest tacks in the box or something Mm -hmm. because this stuff is all very clear. The interesting thing is, you know, when they say you have hepatitis, that's not actually a diagnosis. It's It's a description of a symptom, meaning inflammation of the liver, and a lot of the different kind of diseases, like you know Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's or certain kinds of heart disease, they are just symptom descriptions. But when you start looking at the co-infections, what it turns out, like Lyme, for instance, many of these guys are like this. So Lyme, it, it's a parasitic organism, and it has to scavenge nutrients from its host body. And the way it does that is it breaks down collagen tissues. So if it breaks down collagen tissues in the knee or a joint, you get arthritis. If it does it in the heart, you get heart disease. If it does it in the brain, you get neuroborreliosis and a lot of different problems in your neural functioning. And the interesting thing is that it actually is root to many of the diseases like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis or ALS, diseases that nobody really knew where they came from. And it turns out this whole group of co-infections along with Lyme, when they get into the body, they're actually the root cause of a lot of diseases that previously and nobody really knew what, what caused them. Mm-hmm. And by figuring this out, I mean, there's an obvious connection when you really start to look. And the fascinating thing is, is that if you then treat the root problem, the bacterial organism, which causes these specific kinds of low-level inflammation in the body as they break down different structures in the brain or the, the body itself. Once you understand that and you treat that by reducing those inflammations or getting rid of the bacteria, then the symptoms go away. We've seen people who were wheelchair-bound for several years who had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and they get on this proper protocol or a good regimen for it, and two weeks later they're walking around and they're fine. So there is a very definite connection. It's an exciting time in a sense because we're starting to really understand how to approach these kind of diseases in a way that's really effective rather than designing extremely poor palliative care. Yeah. And, you know, this is really what's exciting about talking with you today because, you know, you have developed a protocol 
you know, you have been somebody that is out and, and is, is willing to really go through extre- extreme lengths, I think, in this book of not just writing about what you found, but documenting it. Footnote. I haven't seen this m- many citations since I was in school, since I've been in school. Yeah, I know my um, publisher screamed. They because there was over 100 pages of references. And they said, oh, can't we leave those out? And I said, well, no, because there's so much conflict in the medical community about what these organisms do and how to treat them that they've got to see that I've really done my homework on this, and they've got to be able to check those references for themselves. I mean, part of the function of these books is to educate the medical community so that they are more informed and they can then help the people that come to them um, rather than just sort of saying, try this antibiotic and go away. And but you can't really do that with these organisms. For the most part, they take a much more focused intervention and, mm-hmm. and a longer-term treatment than uh, just giving somebody an antibiotic. So it's important well, that it all be referenced extremely clearly. Absolutely. I mean, you reference this yourself. You know, I mean, you said these are extremely smart. You know, these are extremely smart when we think about it, right? You know, how smart can something like this be where when you administer an antibiotic, it knows to go and hide? Yeah, bacteria are some of the most intelligent organisms on Earth. And bacterial researchers that are, have been spending their entire lifetime working with them describe bacteria as highly sentient organisms they are capable of tool making. They have sophisticated language. They have sophisticated communities that they build. Some of them, like, will form communities at the bottom of the ocean and even make electrical cables that are insulated to send electricity through to warm their cities, which we call biofilms. Yes. So they're not the picture we were given in school and what we see in the newspapers is completely inaccurate. And it's only by really understanding how sophisticated they are, that we can begin to intervene in some way to help the people that are infected. Because this group of infections, they can identify what kind of antibiotic you're being given. They can identify exactly how to circumvent it. To change. They can even change their genetic structure so that they won't be affected by it. So it, much different approaches have to be chosen if we're going to deal with these effectively at all. Yeah, I want to just tell everyone, I mean, what Stephen has put together is one of the most comprehensive descriptions of the state of affairs right now regarding Lyme disease. And as a matter of fact, for those of you out there, uh, I want to make sure you know, Stephen Buner joining me here today, Healing Lyme Disease Co-Infections, Complementary Holistic Treatment. When we come back, we're going to be talking about what are some of these treatments? What are some of the protocols that Stephen talks about during the book? We're going to give you as much information as we can in the short period of time we have to talk about it. And, and, and just for those of you out there, here's a question I contemplated after reading this. Uh, what did my grandmother know about olive oil that I'm so grateful about today? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Gotta take a little time 
A little time to think things over. Tune in to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet. Welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. Are you ready for a radical shift in your way of being? Are you seeking a more deeply connected and fulfilling life? Awakened Living Radio is a show dedicated to helping you embrace a life filled with profound peace, connection, and happiness. TJ Woodward is passionate about helping you find your clarity, balance, and purpose. Join co-host TJ Woodward and Dr. Pat Basili on the first Monday of every month at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for Awakened Living Radio on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hello, my name is Dr. Friedman Schaub. Anxiety is in many ways a learned behavior, which is rooted in our childhood. During our early years, when we are the most dependent on others, negative feedback, judgment, or ridicule infiltrate our subconscious mind and leave us wondering whether we are really safe, lovable, or good enough. In response, a part of our mind develops protective strategies to keep us from getting hurt. Let's imagine that the anxiety you've been battling with stems from the part that has assumed the job of keeping you safe. Doesn't it then make sense that your anxiety makes you expect the worst, so that you are prepared, keeps you on your toes to avoid failure, or shames and belittles you before someone else can do this to you? When you consider the source of your anxiety as a vulnerable child that just tries to keep you safe, you no longer feel that you're the victim of your own mind, but instead are more easily able to take on the role of the caring, reassuring adult. In retirement, will you outlive your money? It's a common question for people approaching retirement, but it doesn't need to weigh on you. Ask Ameriprise Financial Advisor Jeff Packman about the new Confident Retirement Approach. You and Jeff can break down retirement planning step-by-step to get the real answers you need. In fact, 93% of clients who have had the Confident Retirement Approach conversation feel more confident about their retirement. Call Jeff Packman, Financial Advisor at 425-453-0272 for your Confident Retirement conversation today. Office is located at 601 108th Avenue Northeast, Suite 1800, Bellevue, Washington, 98004. Percentage based on Ameriprise Financial Confident Retirement Client Survey as of December 2013. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated. A registered investment advisor, Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Tune in to Sheer Alchemy with Leslie Fontaine on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get ready to stir up your passions, remove your blocks, and shift into an entirely new existence. Speaker, teacher, channel, clairvoyant, Leslie Fontaine is a transformation catalyst who channels a powerful energy from source to catapult listeners into living the life they were born to live. Whether it's shifting from scarcity to abundance, from emotional pain into joy, or from illness into health, Leslie will help you step into the true essence and power of all that you are with the help of the Ascended Masters and Archangels. 
you will not be the same. Visit TransformationTalkRadio.com for show dates and times and LeslieFontaine.com to say yes to explosive abundance. 1230 WPLQ. everybody. Welcome back. Um, I'm so great to have Stephen joining me here today. Stephen, what's the best website to send people to to find out more about you and get a copy of your book? IANstudies.org. Can you say that again? I think you bleeped out a little bit there. IANstudies.org. G-A-I-A-N studies.org. Um. You know, I said that this segment we were going to talk about some of the protocols, some of the some some of the things that people can really look to find out more about. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I have a very close friend, Katia Defani, who owns Urban Wellness here in Washington State, one one of the best uh, places you can go for herbal remedies, and you know I just love that. Um, and yet at the same time. Uh, I'm watching, you know, friends of mine going in and getting diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroid condition and suggesting Lyme tests, don't know how to read the Lyme test, and yet people are not getting well. And, you know, here I am looking on your website of exactly that question, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what do we need to do to get people information that will actually help them heal? Hence the conversation today with you on what are some of the discoveries you made for natural healing? Well, with Lyme disease, uh, probably about half of the, the, this group of infections, they like to sequester themselves in the endothelial cells that line the blood vessels in the body. And it turns out that they use a certain kind of series of steps. One of the things I really focused on in here is what's called a cytokine cascade. They, they stimulate the release or create the release themselves of these tiny molecules that interrupt and alter cellular functioning in the body, and it allows them to get into the endothelial cells and corrupt them and basically use that as sort of a site from which they then spread out. And it turns out there's one really great herb for that, which is Japanese knotweed. It's an invasive plant throughout much of the United States, the root of that plant shuts down that entire inflammation cascade and really inhibits their ability to do that. Just that alone will quite often turn the symptoms around because if they can't create that inflammatory process, they can't get the nutrients they need to live, and then they begin to be starved. So that's sort of one of the root ones. Um, Cat's claw is a a particularly good herb for Lyme itself because it stimulates immune function. But then if you get into it further, like mycoplasma is a common co-infection of Lyme that infects millions of people every year. And that one, there's some really good herbs like Isatis and Nutinia are two common Chinese herbs. They're both 
invasive botanicals in the United States, often in people's yards. Those are directly antibacterial for mycoplasma. So basically what I did was in reviewing all of this data, all these peer-reviewed journal articles, and looking especially at what the Chinese are doing because they're far ahead of us here, is uh, find the herbs, the plants, and in what combination that will be antimicrobial for these organisms that will help support immune function and will, you know, reduce the symptoms. And, uh, you know, it's actually quite easy once you know how to look. And we've worked with oh, about 25,000 people in the last 10 years, and about 75% of them get completely well. Um, 15% have to be on some sort of a minimum herbal protocol um, all the time, and uh, the other 10%, it's really mixed. But this kind of an interventive approach works very well, and each of the books, you know, I talk about what the organisms do in the body and then what kind of plant medicines are sometimes supplements can be used to interrupt that process and restore health, and it works well. You know, this is really, I made a statement earlier, and I, and I want to get back to it. Um, at least this is what I've discovered in my own journey, and that is we're really not taught, we're talking about remedies that have been used by our grandmothers, their grandmothers, their grandmothers. You can go so far back in time to the realization that the absence of synthetic, you know, drugs, people resorted to what they knew worked. And I think we forget this a bit, Stephen. You know what I mean? Well, I think, of, you know what, what I'm trying to say? I yeah, I do. But what, what, what's really humorous about it is that, you know, they'll say, oh, well, nettle root is very good for, you know, reducing inflammation in the prostate, let's say. And people would have used that, let's say, for a couple of thousand years. Well, then physicians start to research it all, and then they find that nettle root does stop inflammation in the prostate. And then they go, well, it's, it's valid. But the thing that most people don't get when they hear something like that is that the assumption is that all of our ancestors for all of those thousands of years just weren't very smart. And they somehow stumbled on these by accident. But now, finally, when we have people with PhDs and research labs, they can actually tell what's really good. And, you know, there's this kind of patronizing attitude toward the intelligence of human beings prior to 1946 that is really inaccurate. Human beings have always been as smart or as dumb as they are now, and they've come up with some amazing kinds of knowledge about healing that we just tend to disregard because of this sort of arrogance of Western science. And the chickens are kind of coming home to roost these days as more and more of the medical interventive dynamics are starting to run up against the real world. And uh, because the real world is a lot more interesting and sophisticated than it's been given credit for. Well, you know, one of the things you do in this book, and let's just talk about this for a minute, you know, in addition to talking about mycoplasma, you also talk about Bartonella. And, you know, you go to great lengths to just talk about these two. Uh, very important, very important for people to understand. Let's talk about Bartonella for a minute. Um, and, you know, you say the word Bartonella, and, you know, there, there are a handful of people if you if you looked at the people that actually know what that is or have a sense of it or even know what it's related to, it's like it's like a handful of people, uh, you know, put against the population on the planet that knows what that is. 
Now, why would anybody even know? You know, when I say Bartonella, why would anybody know what that is? Um, there's a very good reason. And I think we should take a moment to talk about it and to talk about how, um, how people are showing up with symptoms, how, how things are happening. And even when they go back to conventional doctors, doctors can't find anything. Oh, we ran your Lyme test. Oh, no, you're okay. And that's, that's pretty much it. And God forbid you would ask your doctor to actually give you the test, Stephen, which you can ask for. But here we are now. Our job is to educate people and beyond educating people to not just give hope, but say, wait a minute, there might actually be a solution here. Tell us a bit about Bartonella for those people that may or may not have heard about it. Well, Bartonella, the, the other thing to understand about this group of co-infections is, mm -hmm. is that they really are fairly new to Western science, you know, mm -hmm. really a little bit in the late 70s, but it's really been since the mid-1990s to now. So only really about 20 years have researchers even been able to identify most of these in the lab and be able to study what they do. And they, they don't know very much about it, and they tend to be relying on extremely old information that isn't very good. So Bartonella, uh, it's infections, they've been known as cat scratch fever, okay, because the fleas can carry, the cats have, can carry Bartonella, and the cats get infected, and then they scratch you, and then some of the Bartonella organisms get in your body, and you become ill. But the thing is, there's oh, something like uh, 20 or 25 types of Bartonella, more being found all the time, and they can be spread through many different kinds of biting insects, so quite often somebody will go in and they'll say, you know, you might say, I think I have Bartonella, and they say, do you have a cat? And you go, no, and they go, well, then you don't have it. The tests for most of these organisms aren't very good. At the best, they might have a 50% accuracy rate. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult, and many doctors will simply refuse to test their patients for the presence of any of these organisms because they're relying on outmoded data. Of all of the co-infections, we've found Bartonella to be one of the more, most difficult, even more difficult than Lyme, mm -hmm. to treat. And the Bartonella organisms, like all of these organisms, are many times referred to as the great impersonators because once they get into the body, they can mimic virtually any kind of disease condition that you would want to think of. And, and a number of them, because of the low-level inflammation they cause, lead to cancers over time. So a number of the cancers that have been existent in the human species for a long time actually come from some of these, like mycoplasma. Now, <clears throat> Bartonella, one of the things that it does that's most difficult is if it gets into the neurological system in the brain, it tends to infect the amygdala, which is where strong emotions are processed. So that People with it will sometimes have homicidal rage that's extremely difficult to deal with. And, you know, the, it's a, quite a, a difficult organism to work with, but nevertheless, because it infects um, the endothelial cells, Japanese knotweed will strengthen those structures so that they can't be infected. L-arginine is a great supplement for Bartonella because... Mm -hmm. A number of researchers have found if they give their lab animals, and they've done this some with people, that are infected with Bartonella, L-arginine 
that in and of itself will reverse the condition because it so strengthens the endothelial cells and their behavior, and it's also very antimicrobial for Bartonella. So, you know, there's various ways to approach this, and um, quite easy to treat, really, except that you have to be focused over the long term with Bartonella because of how um, sophisticated it is once it gets in the body. Well, I mean, this is what I, I think folks really are are really looking at. Okay, wait, this is what's going on with me. You've got a great website too, you know, where people can go and look at the different herbs that are available. I have a question that has come in to ask you, Stephen, and the question is, um, hi, or the question is, uh, hi, Pat. Um, I love this, love this show. Um, how do I go about getting herbs? This is a great question. How do I go about getting herbs? How do I go about uh, addressing uh, what I have or what I'm told I have? Can we order them? This is a great question because people are like, yeah, I'd love to be able to figure this out. What's the best way to do, to do this? Especially, Stephen, I can't tell you how many people that I know that go get a Lyme test and they're told okay. So I say to them, get a copy of the test. Get the test. Um, what do we say to people that want to get well? What, what do you recommend? Well, the thing is they need to educate themselves. And if yes. they're lucky enough to find a really good practitioner that understands this group mm -hmm. of infections, that's great. But there just aren't that many. And most people, you know, if you look at what happens to most people that get sick with Lyme or one of the co-infections, mm -hmm. the average time to a correct diagnosis is five years. The average number of practitioners they have to see before they get a correct diagnosis is four years, is four practitioners. So it's a real problem and about that. So most people in the Lyme community have over time educated themselves and they've become very proactive, much the way the HIV people were, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. That's a really important dynamic that they do because they're not going to be able to easily find help. But as they start to educate themselves, you know, there's a number of really great herbal suppliers around the country that I recommend. Okay. Um, Woodland Essence in New York is great. Uh, yeah. Green Dragon Botanicals in Vermont is great. Um, mm. Boy, yeah. You know, Montana Pharmacy in Montana. And so most of these sources I have listed in my book so that they can just go right to them, and these people are all very knowledgeable about the conditions and can help them with the herbs. And I think virtually all the herbs that I recommend can be found from one of these, you know, sources. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I know there's so much to talk about here. On your website, uh, and again, let's talk about this. There's a lot of information on the website. You have information about the protocols. And given that folks do go here, and go to you know a fabulous herbalist they know or some of that are, are that are listed on your website, they can in fact begin on the pathway to wellness. Now I will say this though, Stephen, right? You got to read the you got to read this because I know that there are some things if you've got chronic Lyme, nope, you don't want to use that. So you really do have to get educated. Getting copies of your book is extremely helpful, but also. You know, finding people that are out there that can literally 
uh, provide information. I got a question that came in and I wonder if we can just talk about, I know there are a million things we could talk about. Um, One of the questions came in, uh, Dr. Pat, I heard you talk about Hashimoto's the other day. Uh, I wonder if, uh, uh, if Steve can talk about what the relationship between Hashimoto's is and Lyme disease. Do you have any information on that? Now, I know that, Stephen, you've looked at this. Well, I actually haven't. That particular one, my partner, okay. Julie McIntyre, is more, more, more focused on that. Okay. Thyroid function is a difficult one, and to actually get things that will help stimulate thyroid function, it's a tough field um, to get into. Black walnut hole tincture can help in that respect to some extent, and so can things like bladder rack, which is uh, seaweed, can also help. Um, But I'm not yet aware of anybody that we've actually not found anything that's as sophisticated for the thyroid as I would like. Yeah, me too, right? No wonder why we're getting the question, don't you think? Mm Mm-hmm. I know we've got a few minutes left here. A lot of information in the book. What is what is the most important message that you want people to hear from from this book? Don't give up. Oh boy, yeah. Because they're going to find if people are ill this way, one of the things that happens is when people start going to physicians, they end up feeling betrayed because they've been trained to believe that these people actually care about figuring out what's wrong with them and doing an intervention. But normally most physicians only spend between 8 and 15 minutes with a client. It's not really sufficient time. And so the people feel cast off, really, and denigrated in a lot of ways. And so that's why these very potent Lyme support groups have come into being. And they're all over the Internet now, which is great. So you can find all kinds of people talking about similar conditions, what they've done, what worked, what helped. There isn't really any one way to health, and I share that over and over again. These protocols that I've come up with over the last decade, they're there as a starting place for people, but nearly everybody, you know, modifies it for their own particular condition. And the Lyme people are always innovating and finding new things. So the important thing to know is you can get well. You don't need to give up. There's a lot of information out there and a lot of things that can help. And it's going to stimulate or necessitate a real growth of self-awareness in anybody that's sick like this because they're going to have to take charge of their own health. There isn't any other way around it because most physicians just aren't knowledgeable enough to help. And for whatever reason, the majority of them don't really seem to want to become educated enough to help. And there's a real Lyme war dynamic going on out there, and everybody gets caught up in it sooner or later. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? uh, I know this is a little different question, um, but do you think with the latest group of celebrities coming to the forefront, Avril Lavigne being one of them, um, have they helped the cause? Well, they do because they create all kinds of knowledge. Um, they, they increase the awareness for everybody. And so that sort of forces a spotlight onto the CDC and everybody else that's involved in a rather conservative approach 
to start dealing with it. Of course, many of the physicians are extremely upset about this. Um, they do, do not like this kind of spotlight being focused, and they complain about it a lot. But nevertheless, when that happens, it actually does really help considerably. It brings attention where it should be brought. Yeah. I mean, this is really what you and I and many people out there can do is really uh, shine the light on on becoming more and more aware. Uh, what I love is being able to help people, Stephen, even come up with the right questions to ask their doctors. Um, I recently gave a question from my doctor to uh, uh, someone in New Jersey to bring to her doctors, and clearly the answer was, we don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. And that should be a sign. Find a doctor that might know what you're talking about. Well, the trick is Thank to find you. physicians who are essentially yeah. humble and that don't have an arrogance about their work. Oh, and okay. there are physicians like that, and they're some of the finest people I've ever met. I mean, yep. I was raised in a medical family that had a Surgeon General of the United States and all kinds of prominent physicians. And Many of them were quite humble, but that was a long time ago. Nowadays, yep. they're more technologically oriented, but there are still people who are genuine healers who work, and if you can find somebody like that, it makes all the difference in the world. Oh, I agree. Thank you so much for all that you do. Again, please give out your website for people. Okay, it's guyanstudies.org, G-A-I-A-N studies.org. And the book is available on Amazon and uh, pretty much everywhere else, really. That's the truth. Uh, There's in the new second edition of Healing Lyme is just out at Amazon. So all three of them are out now and up to date, and that should take care of hopefully most of the major infections that occur in this realm. Well, thank you for all that you do. This is clearly for most of us. Uh, you know, the book that you've put together is so amazingly chock full of information. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so hey, much. Thank you, Pat. Brian, thank you for pushing all the right buttons today. Oh, thank you, thank my you. friend. Oh, good job. Thank you, guys, all of you out there for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Lime Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to Lime Talk Radio with Dr. Pat Basili. Epic healing for an epic life. This inspiring show highlights leading-edge solutions, groundbreaking research, headline topics, and tools for holistic healing and wellness. This hit show is dedicated to raising awareness, promoting advocacy and prevention, and supporting initiatives for optimal health. Dr. Pat is passionate and focused on life-saving results reaching far beyond Lyme disease, providing a forum for powerful stories, heart-opening experiences, and hope-activated solutions. Dr. Pat will shine a light on the many shades of Lyme disease fueled by a body-mind-spirit remedy. For more information, visit LimeTalkRadio.com and tune in next time.